Welcome to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! We are back, and it's just the two of us. We've had a, uh, two episodes um, recently with great guests. Yeah, but, so fun. Hey, listeners, so fun. Hey, listeners, you're stuck with us again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's been good. Uh, before we get into this episode, I want to just say that, um, to say for Chadwick Bosman. Um, yeah, so this crazy. Very crazy. Um, this loss really was one of those ones where it's like, I'm like, I'm not surprised that it's like effective. Like I'm affected by his passing, but it just hit really deep. So it's, I mean. It's just so sad. I was driving yesterday with Jess in the car and she gasped. I thought we were going to get like hit by a car or something. But then she was like, Jazz Chadwick Boseman is dead. And I was like, what are you? And she she thought she was reading like something fake at first. She was like, this can't right. be real. He's just so young. And yeah, man, colon cancer is horrible. And the fact that he had it for so many years and just was like going through treatment, but just Again, you doing his job. It's unreal to me. Unreal. Did you did you watch The Five Bloods yet? Like, did I you sadly have not. That's have, okay. It's I think like now watching it, knowing his like, at, like I don't know when exactly they shot it, but the him being six potentially throughout shooting it gives it this extra layer of like. I, I not really irony, but like it's like appropriate almost the the way that his character is treated in the movie, uh. it, with like this certain like reverence, um, just kind of makes sense. Like if if I, I don't know if Spike Lee knew he was sick or or what, but it's definitely an interesting layer added to it, considering that he was battling this cancer the the whole time. I would assume throughout filming. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely. Um, it's on my list to watch. Um, yeah, soon. Um, he one of my favorites of his um, is a. He was a, a guest star role, or um, I guess co-star. I always mix up which is, which is, fucking bigger. Oh yeah, which, <laughs> like what the credit was. Yeah, I was, but he played a a role like this guy named Beeman on uh, Justified, and he was this sort of like this Bozeman or Bosman. Is that it? Beth is wondering if I'm pronouncing it right. Oh, so, I don't know. So. I always said I always said Bozeman. Bozeman, yeah. I, I thought that's yeah. what it is. Um, if I said Bozeman, I apologize. On this show, I pronounce everything Maybe I wrong. just, I might have just said. She texted, apparently she, I woke her up with my mispronunciations. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> she was sleeping, <laughs> she was sleeping quietly and then she heard my mispronunciations. It woke from her slumber her only to... To tell me I was saying it wrong. <laughs> but Chadwick, he played a, gr a great role where he was just like, like, I guess the is like this guy that wanted to be like he's in crime. He unfortunately is in crime. And, uh, you know, I, I forget if he does a robbery or what, but the, the marshals are after him. But he's just like he's just this character who wanted to be a magician at one point. And it's just like such a heartfelt, funny character from Justify I that I absolutely love. That's so crazy, dude. Yesterday I went into the office and my IT guy was talking about how he just rewatched that whole show and how good it was. I was like, I got to watch it. And yeah, I'm that's a huge really, fan. I didn't even realize he was in that show, too. 
that's just a weird coincidence. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I knew him by name at the time when it, when I watched it, but it's he's yeah. so good. Um, but yeah. I got to see it. Rust in peace. Horrible. That's the worst. Yeah. Truly I, a terrible it's... loss. So our first segment for the episode is going to be a little segment called Hell to Pay. Two big things in here that are very cool. One of them we'll talk about in a future episode probably in more detail. Mandic Games um, started a new Kickstarter for the their... Um, expanding off of the board game they created of the Hellboy the board game they decided to create um, an RPG, a role playing game um, in the world of Hellboy uh, designed just like uh, Dungeons and Dragons that where you can create your own by rolling the dice and creating your own agents as well as playing as, as iconic characters I don't really, I just want to say that we're excited to to play this because we're gonna we're gonna do the, the quick start version with a, a guest of ours in the past, Clay Larson. So yeah, I sort of want to leave my main thoughts when we dive into the whole thing. I can yeah. only I can only say that Kickstarter literally put up a or Magic Games put up a Kickstarter and they I think they hit their goal within forty minutes and then have continued to climb, which is insane. Yeah, <laughs> people love when they love a property they'll they'll just throw cash at it <laughs> for sure which we we also did yes we yeah. definitely did <laughs> well we did like we did like the highest tier for one purchase we're not doing yeah. both and also i mean we did what we, I, I think we both could afford and then yeah they've opened up so many like additional things and i was like i can't throw more money i don't right. have money i don't have money for this <laughs> uh so but we're going to definitely tackle that with our friend Clay Larson, um, and we'll get into further detail in response to the to it at that time. But if you haven't heard about it, definitely check out Mantic Games, because um, that's going to be something you definitely want to get in the mail when they release it. Ooh. Hell yeah. Um, the other cool big thing in Hell to Pay is we have uh, coming um, is the Mike Mignola, The Quarantine Sketchbook. This was announced on the IGN.com website exclusively originally. In a sense, Dark Horse is just taking all those great um, sketches that Mignola has been doing through quarantine that he did in order to um, benefit Chef Jose Andres at the World Central uh, Kitchen. They're just compiling those and creating a book um, that you can purchase and have. It seems very fucking cool. Um, it's going to be released um, next year, of course. So there's a ways away, but it's going to be in March. It says it will be released in comic shops on the 3rd of March, 2021, and in bookstores um, on March 16th. I went ahead and I talked to my comic book store and had them already put in a pre-order for me. And that's what I would encourage others to do because, uh, I mean, uh, you know, kudos to Mignola making this happen. He only posted the Amazon.com link. And I was yeah. just like, I don't want to purchase this from fucking right. Amazon. I was like, yeah. I reached out to my comic book store and secret headquarters was like, can you pre-order this? I don't want to. I don't want to get oh, it from nice. Amazon. So that's yeah. what I would encourage everybody else to do is uh, purchase, get get your local comic book store, if your bookstore can do it as well, have them order it. Especially um, now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon doesn't need more of your money. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. 
What do you think? Are you going to get it? What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I love sketchbook kind of stuff like that anyway. Like it's uh, and it just looks really cool. It's like the ones he's been posting are really fun. Yeah, they're so fun. And I mean, the, the cover of it is really cool. It's just that one where he's wearing the Hellboy with the mask on. I think that's really cool. Of course, they, they immediately have some of the favorites, which is like the 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 serial monsters. They show those. They have the snack crackle pop ones that are super funny. And then his weird like onion head and or onion body creature flower head guys. It's a lot of cool stuff. So and it was for a good cause and all of that. Yeah, there's like no reason not to. I think I'll. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to call like I, I guess Golden Apple is my closest shop. Yeah, you got to just pick whatever your shop is and do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's those are great. Um, those are two big, huge additions to Hell to Play, and and for the, definitely for any Hellboy uh, lover and collector out there, you should definitely get on top of those. Great. And now uh, we have a a, a large um addition. I don't know. I would say large. Just uh, I, I'm so happy this uh, we have this segment um back because it means that we know you're listening. It's the segment. <laughs> oh boy, email. email. Um, and I say big because I think these are uh, three uh, emails that are just wonderful and great and rich. And let's get right to it. The first one comes from um, regular listener and um, emailer Drew Campbell. His email is titled, Oh Boy, Email! Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is great. So this comes from Drew. He says, Hey, crappers. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's been so long. It's been so long to be called it's crappers. Ne- I never thought I'd be like, yeah, well, it's so nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to hear you call us crappers. Um, <laughs> I love this. He says, time to work through my backlog of comments for the last few weeks. He says, darkness calls. This is his first section. He says, the scene with all the witches flying. You guys were wondering about the witches flying on brooms with the bristles facing forward. Yeah. That is an older traditional way to depict witches riding brooms. There wasn't there doesn't seem to be a consensus that one way or the other is correct. But some of the evidence for the origin of the concept of witches riding brooms indicates that the broomstick was used as an applicator for the hallucinogenic drugs to certain parts of the female anatomy, which would seem to indicate the bristle end pointing forward. Weird. Wait, like when she's sitting on it? Yeah, like, I guess so. Just uh, he, like sucking up hallucinogenic drugs through your vagina, like. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the way you would write Damn, it. Witches are cooler than I ever thought. <laughs> <laughs> and he included a picture. If you look at the email, Kate, he includes a picture of like an old sketch. I don't. Uh, he doesn't cite where it's from. But of like a two witches riding it, so it's like guess they just lubed up their um so funny. their broom with some drugs got They're on like, top of so it. So long, yeah, real fuck, real flying. Time to fly. yeah. <laughs> oh my god, fucking cool as hell. <laughs> I'm gonna draw a blacklight poster with like that on it. That would be the That's funniest so blacklight poster to have. I just remember like looking at because I definitely have seen that depiction of witches before. I didn't realize that that was like part of the implication. I always just thought like, oh, that's less aerodynamic than 
Yeah. If you were writing, you know, like Harry Potter style or something. Which is funny, too, because I'm like, wait. Does it mean they're they're implying that the end is going into the vagina? Because if you flip it around, if it's on the actual just are they they're using it to dab on like how like like how dudes have like barber shops that have that brush that applies um, shaving cream. That's what I imagine right oh, now. A, okay, a poultice like a big broom. In a giant poultice of like, um, you know, crunched up mushrooms or something. Yeah. Have you seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Yes, I loved it. They had that, she had that goo that like she put on her armpit to like hallucinate. She was like, this is going to make us trip. It's going to be great. Do you remember yeah, that part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's making me think of. Some like mystery goo that's like making right. you trip out. <laughs> You're probably right. They got some calm, like mushrooms, broke it down, fucking put on some goo and rode that broom. <laughs> went, went to went to Jupiter to get more stupider. <laughs> Wild. Wild. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, as you said, witches just got cooler. Yeah, right. <laughs> Solid email, man. Love it. That's great. Uh, great. Then Drew continues. He now has comments on Killing Ground. Um, he says, a correction. You guys were talking about Johan having lost his body 100 years ago, but you're a couple years off. That's okay. fine. We are. He says, the, Ch- the Chengdu incident that left him without a body happened in 2002. Um, and then... I guess, yeah, but still, that's like... Wait, what? 2002, the Chenado incident. Oh, 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 okay, okay. It's that, like, when he was doing this seance. Was that in 2002? Because I feel like the cl- the way he dressed felt, like, so older than 2002. Again, I, oh. I Drew's probably fucking right, but it just feels oh, yeah. like style-wise... I assumed that it happened in, like, the early 1900s. That was my assumption. Yeah. Now I'm, like, very, like, oh, man. I, or it was published in 2002? Am I losing my damn mind? Now I want to, like, look it up real fast, even though it I want to clarify. I do believe him, but I, I want to know him, exactly what he means. Like, I, I, I always assumed that he was a little... Uh, a little older than the others, but I mean, that's you know what I mean. Because when they show him alive, I my I really just I just I guess they never. I thought he was of much, like from a, an older age. You know what I mean? Well, he was okay. So he was born in Germany in 1946, right? And okay, he was born in 46. Yeah, 1946. Okay. So he's, he's probably definitely right. It just seems... Yeah, I guess. I, yeah. In I early will... 2002, Krauss was the only survivor of a seance affected by a mystical disaster. Yeah, you're right. You're right, wow. Drew. I just thought... Damn. I, yeah, I would have thought that was uh, way earlier. That's all. Yeah. He's totally got us. Because it makes me think of shit like, um, like Houdini kind of stuff. Yes. You know, like that's what I... I, I whenever I kind of or maybe just like the aesthetic of it of the comic that we read yes totally i think or like just his style and everything and the way like when it just did the flash forward like the flashback that kate gorgon's going through i always just it it, it, to me again he's right we've been proven wrong we're right 
He lost his body in 2002, but it just like he seemed like a man out of time. He seemed like totally an old era person. So I su- I just like assumed visually that it was like taking place at least in like not if not the 40s or 50s but like the 70s for some reason oh yeah i i completely got the same impression as you i'm totally surprised that it was that much later yeah me too but he got us you got us drew i want to go back and read with that in mind yeah i mean i I mean then that how many years i mean then interesting um he hasn't been without a body for how many years then? You know what I mean? Like, Killing Ground is at what time is it? So that means, and that also means that he was 56 years old when that seance happened. Yeah. He's an old so man. He's, so yeah, he just, he's much older than I assumed. Like, I thought he would be in his, like, 30s or 40s. Yeah, and maybe that's why he's even more of a horn dog because he's old and... Like, hadn't had, you know, any, like... He's like, I really, I mean, even when I was alive, I wasn't getting any. I was in my... Yeah. I was a bachelor. I was a 56-year-old bachelor. (laughs) I mean, I guess it would have been, like, yeah, around that time, like, 2008, 2007. So, I mean, he not even 10 years he was at without a body. Okay. That, yeah, we we took a big leap from 100 to... Way, way <laughs> big. Way then. That's like, this is, he My just, tri- this email became a segment of uh, Hell If We Know. Right. Uh, <laughs> but thank you for correcting us, uh, Yeah, Drew. thanks for telling us that, because yeah. it really changes, it, it changes a little bit about the character, I think, for me. Not like a ton or anything, but like, you know, it's interesting to think of him as a more modern figure than than I had been. Um, and then he has another correction for us, which is fine with me, because we need him. He yep. says, the, in the monkeys with masks, I believe those are no, N-O-H, mask, not kabuki masks. As for the significance of that specific kind of mask, I'm not sure. And I don't know either. I'd have to, I'd have to specifically look up what no mask, like. Yeah, what? looks like just like a different kind of acting mask. Okay, no is 600 years old and kabuki is 400 years old. There's a 200 year difference. No is... A very traditional performance, but kabuki is something that's for ordinary people. There are also visual differences between the two art forms. In no, performers wear a mask, but in kabuki, they wear a face paint. Ah, um, uh, okay. Yeah. So they're I, like different. They're like pretty significantly different. Yeah. Uh, no masks are carved from the blocks of like Japanese cypress, painted with natural pigments with a neutral base of 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 glue and crunch seashell. The nomads that I'm seeing here that are represented are very more like, they look like they're to be like faces. Yeah, they look realistic. Yeah. I'm not the most versed in either Kabuki or no, but it yeah, feels- Yeah, we clearly are experts. <laughs> yeah, I'm not an expert at all. So yeah, I, he's right again. I love knowing knowing what they are. Those no- It's interesting. Yeah, it's very yeah. interesting what they're pulling from. So. I would, I mean, I'm curious to like see how, like, I want to like YouTube search this stuff. No was meant for higher classes and actors did everything to earn the respect of the samurai and other higher classes who went to watch this form of theater. Actors used masks to show emotions in No, while heavy makeup and paint is used by actors in Kabuki. Actors shout a lot in Kabuki, whereas in No, they are more somber. Uh, cool. Yeah, man, I want to, like... I mean, yeah, they sound, like, in, you know, like, in the performance of it, too. It's, like, 
the ma- the masks are different. Yeah, like there there's a mask in No and face paint in Kabuki, but like it sounds like the style is way different too. Yeah, great. Okay, well that was great. I think cool. that's, that's good to get educated. Thank you, Drew. Yeah, very much so. We really appreciate. It. Then he continues. All of the stuff with Johan's new body got me thinking. When he's just ectoplasm in a rubber suit, he can speak. But he doesn't have like a physical body. So what does his voice sound like? Does his voice sound like his voice before the incident? And if so, how? And then when he gets the new body, does he still have the same voice he had before? Does he then use the body's vocal cords to speak? These are the kind of burning questions we need answered. (laughs) I would definitely assume because the women in town, when he goes into town to like drink and hang out and cavort and shit, he's like... They're, they call him Arnold, so I would assume he has the same accent, but maybe his vocal cords are different because he's, like, occupying the same body, just like his, uh, but his consciousness is the same, so he still has, like, a, like, he's got a German accent, but it's through the vocal cords of this huge body now. Yeah. That's such a fun question. It's such a fun question. <laughs> you know? And I think, it, I think it can get into that realm where it's, like, if we go too far there's so much logic of like it shouldn't be his voice you know what i mean like a div- i guess like- it's like a projection of you know like it's like a he's like almost like psychically projecting his voice or something if you want to like try to think about like well how would he you know in like comic book logic uh like he's like the way that he can like sense feelings and emotions and shit he's like uh, somehow like psychically connected to things and maybe in that same way he's like psychically projecting his voice <laughs> which would make his voice sound like I guess whatever it sounded like when he was human yeah I that I agree I think that's where I'm like oh it's just gonna be like if you believe it's his voice it's just supernatural logic it's not it's not like oh yeah uh, you know what I mean I believe yeah. in spirits, so a spirit would sound just like me, whereas science tells ghosts, me it's my you vocal know, cords. In like in like uh, in movies and stuff, sometimes ghosts are like have like an echoey sound or like a faraway sort of sound, or sometimes they just sound like they're just talking to you. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and I could, I mean, we could argue that even if his body is different vocal cords, he could probably give himself like an actor would. He could give himself a German accent. He could manipulate <laughs> his own. I mean, he would still have like a, it would be like if that body was raised in Germany, that guy would have a German accent. It's like, it's not like you're inherently born with vocal cords that give you an accent. It's like you learn a language and how it sounds. So you like your accent is, is learned. Yeah. So I feel like he would still, he could still have a German accent because he's still Johan in his mind, but his, maybe it's like deeper or something. It's like, because his body is big now and it's like, hello. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is fun to think. Yeah, he would just have a different, I think it would be a, a different pitch, a different, there'd be variations. Yeah, that's a fun, it's a fun, fun question. Because yeah. it's just fun, like I was, um, I was, I read recently Understanding Comics. Uh, have you ever read that? It's like, basically a textbook about comic books but in comic book form it's really cool i think i've heard of it but i have not read it uh you definitely would like if you could see the cover you would be like oh yeah i've seen that it's really neat but it like it, it there's like a whole section where the author talks about 70s 
sound and like how comics uses like one visual sense to convey all of these other senses like like audio like you're like li- like you're listening to this thing you're also like smelling it and like f- like it conveys other emotions through just like a visual medium and so that's like a really interesting question to me because yeah i guess it's like you the uh, the reader the audience is participating so much in that like you your own rendition of it gives so much to to the material I don't know. It's neat. <laughs> I think you're 100. percent It's that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, you it's a cool question. Have that. That's great. Because half the time, you know, sometimes you like read something just in your own voice, and you're not even con- like consciously really thinking about it too much. You're like directed. Like if you're reading a book or something, you're like directing it in your head. I guess it's it's interesting. It is very interesting to, to yeah. think of that. That and I, I mean that's something like. Because I see a lo- we have a different... I was trying to think of, like, we definitely in comics you come across a lot of, like, translated from and all that in different languages. Right, right. Like, with an asterisk, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how do we... I definitely do issues? read Johan shit with a... Ger- like, in my mind, I'm reading it with a German accent. Oh, me for sure as well. And sometimes the writing can kind of, like, help that way when they, like, use yeah. certain... Uh, phrasings or anything like that. Yeah, if that. they like, or if they like write his words out phonetically, like if it's like, you know, like uh, not even necessarily like German words, but like written as though it's like a German accent. Although I've like, I know some people are averse to that because it's it, like, like in a script, you're not supposed to write like in a move, like a screenplay or something. You're not supposed to like write phonetically how it sounds. You're just supposed to write grammatically correct. And, like, inform the audience or the reader that the character speaks them that way through some other way, like, through some, like, in action lines or some shit. Yeah, I think that's the best But in comics, people do it all the time. Yeah, I guess, I guess there's just different expectations, too, on the writing, on the material. Yeah. Like, because I would, I I, I tend not to, like, if I'm ever writing something, I don't want it phonetically because I think that can fall into, it can fall into like a stereotype. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it yeah, assumes, you're not supposed it assumes to. that like every person, well, if upon. you come from this, you'll only talk this way versus yeah. like there's variations in every culture of how people talk. Yeah. <laughs> I talk like a Utah and I fucking talk fucking crazy. Is that what you call a person from Utah? Is a Utahan? I'm going to call him a Utahan, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I've never heard it before. Yeah, and I have like an accent that will pop out or like I just speak badly and then people will call Same. it out all the time. Especially yeah. if I'm two beers in, my O's get real long. <laughs> I get real Pennsylvanian. I don't even need beers. I just like, fucking talk hey. badly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the safe bet is not to 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 write it out. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, write yeah. what the fuck they're saying. It's and then, like bad form. Yeah, exactly. I mean, less so in comics. Like, comics aren't held to a same, like, standard, I guess. Or or it's, like, more... There's more, there's more like, leniency with what you can get away with in comics, I think. Yeah, or just pay attention to what you're, what you're trying to convey with what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. With how you're wanting the character to talk. Yeah. And then, like, leave it up sometimes. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, in a script, you're probably going to hand it off, like, to a writer and let them... Or, excuse me, a, an actor and let them sort of interpret it and bring that life to yeah. it. You hope that the character is informed in other ways. Like that would be, yes, it's just a crazy way to, it would be a crazy way to write a script because then it, it halts the reader. It like stops you. You have to like 
figure out what the fuck they're trying to say instead of just reading on the face on, on the face of it like what the message is yeah sorry this is like i feel like we're getting like it's definitely a as, sec- cl- as close to academic as our dumbasses can yeah this is <laughs> yeah and it, it probably hurts other people's brains when we try to be academic. it's hurting my brain <laughs> <laughs> well let's get back to the smart email sure. here yeah let's do it uh, he continues to say since you guys love guy davis's art so much who doesn't i have to suggest his series the marquee it's sort of an 18th century aesthetic, but there are demons hiding all over disguised as humans that the main character has to fight, as you might expect from a comic writing and drawn by Guy Davis. It has the most insane, mind-bending, disturbing creature designs you could ever have hoped for, totally nice. beyond anything pretty much anyone else could imagine. I, I mean, I... I gotta read this book. I gotta make sure, try to see if it's on Hoopla. It's a great suggestion. I think I think he's not the only one that has mentioned this before, the Marquis. Fun. Um, but it sounds definitely, with his creature designs and how wonderful it are, if there's more of that in the world, definitely gotta grab it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like doing a quick Google and it's pretty nasty. Yeah, I love that. Dude, if you like fucked up monsters, you gotta read Berserk. Oh, who did Berserk? It's- um, it's this fucking awesome, disgusting manga. <laughs> um, uh, it's written by Kentaro uh, Miura. Miura. It's really fucking good and disgusting. It's fucking gross. I feel like manga, like manga artists, are like just blow everyone out of the water when it comes to like body horror. <laughs> I love that. It's creepy as fuck, especially especially Berserk. Like it just has some of the grossest shit. I mean, I'm sure like if you're a really really like involved like manga fan, then you're like, okay, I know I could list like ten other guys that draw grosser shit than this. But like <laughs> to me, this is like pretty. I mean, there's some pretty fucked up shit in this comic. But it's still like beautifully rendered and looks awesome. Right. I mean, I mean, I'll check it out. I'll get grossed. Yeah. I'll get grossed out. You will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but those are great. Both yours and Drew's suggestions are definitely going on my list to read. Yeah. Um, and then he has some thoughts on the the Vampire of Prague plus a photo. You should definitely pull this up, Kate, in the email because you're going to want to see this photo. He says, here's a picture of Mike Mignola's bookshelf. On the right-hand side, you can see the actual puppet that was the inspiration for the story, The Vampire of Prague. Um, it, it's it's funny looking if you if, if once you have that up a little, it's like a little marionette. <laughs> like oh, it's perfect. I yeah. love I love it. I love it so much. Uh, it's He's just like a little green freak. Little green freak wearing wearing that little, little black outfit. Jig, jigsaw looking guy. <laughs> very jigsaw looking. That's very funny. Imagine that uh, little marionette walking in without anybody controlling it. Hell no. <laughs> I would just pass out cold. Be like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm nobody here. I'm dead now. <laughs> but it's so cool of him to send us this picture. I don't know where the source is from, but it's very cool. I love that, it. Uh, that Mignola posted this to show the world his little bookcase and the things that surround it, which is very fun. <laughs> And then he continues to say, I'm a huge fan of P. Greg Russell. This story is fun and kind of silly, but I don't feel like it's the best representation of the kinds of things he usually does. You mentioned the ring of the uh, Nibelung as an example of his past work, and I highly recommend it. It's an epic graphic novel adaptation of Richard Wagner's Der Ring das Leben Rügen 
opera cycle. That's that's something. And he says he's the only graphic novel creator I know of to adapt an opera. That is pretty cool. And, yeah. And I believe he has adapted others as well. He also adapted a number of Oscar Wilde's fairy tales and some of Neil Gaiman's novels and stories, including an upcoming series adapting Gaiman's Norse mythology, which will also include art by Mignola. That's very cool. cool. And it says a good starting point with his work might be Sandman number 50, which is a classic or his adaptation of Gaiman's short story, Murder Mysteries. I mean, this sounds all great. And I need, I definitely want more to see what PT, I keep wanting to say PT and I'm messing his <laughs> name up. P, P. Greg Russell. Um, so Sandman, I'm sadly, I've only, only read like the first trade or all, uh, absolute. And I need to, I need to get off my ass and it's a read big, all of Sandman. It's a big undertaking for sure. Like I read it like probably 10 years ago now. I'd have to reread it, but it, even then I had like friends who had read it already. So I had people to talk to about it, but it's like, you got to kind of like ingest it. And like, if you think there's homework for Hellboy, like there's fucking homework for Sandman. If you're like, who is this mythical character? And then you're like, find yourself reading like all of these, you have like tabs open of like all of the different shit that he's referencing in like one comic. I mean, you don't have to do that, obviously, but it definitely helps to, like, inform the story if you're figuring out who the different, like, mythological beings are and shit. It's cool, though. You don't have to do that. Sorry, I don't want to, like, make it sound like a fucking <laughs> horrible task. It's like a really cool I don't really think it's cool a horrible comic. task. I mean, I'll yeah. read it, and then if I know... I'll read it, and if I don't know something, I'll look it up if I feel like I need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you feel like it, that's really... That's the, that's the moral of the story. The moral of the story, if you feel yeah. like it. <laughs> uh, and then he goes on to say, Omar brought up Buffy the Vampire, Tales of the Vampires, and couldn't remember if Mike Mignola was involved with that. And he said, he says, he didn't draw any interior art, but he did do the cover for the collected edition, which he also included here in the email. Um, and it's, it's a great, cool Tales of the Vampires. I mean, the cover is very perfectly Mignola and awesome. Vampire in chains, a bunch of... Creepy statues, a little a little red bat flying. It's a very cool and very pretty uh, cover for Tales of the nice. Vampires, and we love that Mignola art. So, um, and then this next part of his section is a, a little treat for us. I love this part. I'm glad that um, Drew responded to this. Um, he says, "Lastly, you had asked about ideas for a Hellboy animatronic ride. <laughs> so here it goes." <laughs> I think it should start with kind of an overview of the secret history of the world, with the Watchers creating the Ogdru Jihad, which could be some pretty impressive animatronics. Then move to the Hyborian Age with the statue containing the Hand of Unknown and the three Watchers in Thoth's Garden. Then you show Hecate corrupting them and the statue killing the people, staining the red, the red, the red hand. Then the statue jumping off the city walls could be like a silhouette against a lit background. And you, sh you would show the crumbled pieces with only the right hand intact. 
<laughs> is all elaborate and wonderful. Hell yeah. Then you could jump to showing Hellboy's mother being pulled to hell by Big Azale, Az- Azil, his father, animatronic. Next, you this show is Project Rat. It's so bleak and so dark. Love it. <laughs> um, yeah, sign me up. Next, you show Project Ragnarok and the summoning of Hellboy, which could have some nice pyrotechnics. Very much so, yes. Hell yeah. Have some brief scenes of young Hellboy with Professor Broom, then older Hellboy in various BPRD missions. There could be brief references to the 1940s and 1950s BPRD stories here, and also vignettes of Abe Sabian and Lib Sherman's origins. Then... Cool. Seed of Destruction Era and introduce the frog monsters. You could show the transformation by having the riders pass by suggestive barriers with various stages of transformation in between. Love that. <laughs> like, you do like all that like light. Like I feel like they do a lot of the cool shit with like light and smoke or light and steam. Yes. Like that would be a fun sort of like thing. Oh, cool. Very cool. <laughs> and then he says, and you'd have to have a giant Sadu Hem animatronic. Maybe have tentacles going above the riders, yes, and rising up alongside them. It could have quick bits from most of the stories, like a big Iron Maiden Hecate animatronic coiling around the the riders, and the discovery of Roger with appropriate pyrotechnics, a massive animatronic for the giant evil homunculus, a creepy Baba Yaga scene, the floating Japanese heads, then get (laughs) to conquer a worm with some cool Lobster Johnson ghost effects. I would love that. A Von Klempt animatronic and a huge conqueror worm. This is almost like, I love all these ideas. It's almost like you have to have a series of animatronics to really, Yeah, it's amazing. You'd have to like break it down into several. This is like Hellboy World. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then he says, you could skip. Mignola Land. Mignola Land. We want it. (laughs) And he says, then skip ahead to Hellboy getting taken by the Bogrush. And the mermaids hammering the nail into his horn. The underwater scenes could have some really cool lighting and use wind effects to simulate water. Yeah, turn the submarine ride at Disney into this. Uh, (laughs) Show Hellboy drifting in the ocean, then washing up on shore and fighting the old man who turns into Urgu Hem. And then you could skip to Darkness Calls, where the witches fly away with Hellboy. There could be lots of animatronic wishes attached to poles that let them move up and down to simulate flying. That makes me think that, like, in the Haunted Mansion, when you go to the graveyard, it'd be that yeah. with the witches. That would Hell be very yeah. cool. And then you have different sized animatronic wishes, as he says, to make force perception. So they're on these poles and then have different sized force perception to involved in that. Then yeah. have Hellboy fighting the undead Russian knights in some cool fight scenes with um, Kushche. Kushche. Um, the, the, the the deathless and then you would get to the stuff with Nim Yu but I'll leave that one that that out since you haven't got to that yet besides she doesn't, he doesn't want to spoil for you Kate any of that besides Thank you. <laughs> he besides the writers plenty long enough already <laughs> and that's how he ends he says check you later love you Drew <laughs> Aww, <laughs> it's thanks, a great Drew. pitch a great, we love you too. Yeah, I think you should be an Imagineer for Manila. I can imagine it all. I know. I'm like really thinking about it. This would be so cool. It'd be what a thank you for that offering of all of all the all the the fact checking, corrections, uh, 
your opinions on stuff, the, the fun questions, all of that is just so cool and great. Yeah. This is what we love in an email from any of any and all our listeners. Totally. We love that. That is awesome. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> uh, and then we have another email from a, a fellow podcaster and previous guest. It's another one from Kevin Hines of the hey. uh, Screw It, We're Just Going to Talk About Comics podcast. Um, this one's called Killing Ground. It's all about that. So let's get into this. Um, he said, loved your coverage of Killing Ground and really glad you guys are enjoying BPRD as much as I did when I first read it. I couldn't believe how strong the spinoff of Hellboy was. I think we're the same. We, we're baffled by how good it is. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's great. And he says, I worry that some of the things you're asking questions about won't get answered. As Abe alluded to, who knows, is something they just need to live with. But the book stays really strong throughout War on Frogs. And I think stays great even after Guy Davis eventually leaves. And I think he's right. to. I, I think there is a lot of questions that we're probably not going to get answered. Yeah. But I think that's also okay. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't think everything needs to be answered, you know? Yeah, or it needs to be always cleared up. It can always be left a little bit of mystery. If it doesn't, if it doesn't like leave a a fucking a plot hole per se, or like, well, that doesn't make right. sense. If it's just mystery and like, yeah, that's a character and we don't know everything about him. Sure. Yeah, I think it's like you know you can wrap up storylines in a way that it's that that are satisfying without having to explain. Like Mignola has never been one to really explain every little facet of the of the world that he's created so it's like that's fine like i can live with not knowing ever like every answer as long as like the characters that we love and follow have some sort of satisfactory like ending for themselves you know yes 100 percent. yeah it's great and he, and he says in parenthetical it starts to get a bit too diluted eventually then our cootie leaves, and well, overall, I still love BPRD. So yeah, we'll have to get there and see what we think. Yeah. And he says, anyway, skip all of above. If I, I'm here to talk about Guy Davis. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I love his art, his design, and his contributions to BPRD. It seemed like, like such a well-oiled machine. But now I wonder how happy it all was. I never heard about why Davis left the book, and it's hard to find reasons now. But in the aftermath of the recent Scott Alley, boo, firing, yay, yeah. Guy, Guy came out very strongly against Mignola for not firing him sooner. So did Arcudi to a lesser extent. But also Guy seemed to imply that it became, or always was, a toxic work environment for him. I found this awful to read about, even in implication. He was mm. on so long, I can't imagine it was always bad. I do wonder if him being connected with Guillermo del, Guillermo del Toro via the Hellboy movies led to him leaving the book. Did del Toro poach Guy? I mean, I suspect Guy makes more money for less work, mostly just design now, so good for him. But did that create or lead to a bad breakup? Maybe we'll mm. learn more as you get towards guys leaving the book. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious too, because I also felt the same. I was like, I you always you always feel fucking conflicted being a fan of something and then hearing like a co-creator air some grievances that you can't deny. You know what I mean? You can't be yeah. like, well, I like them. Who cares what you say? It's like, no, I, I, 
apparently that work environment wasn't ideal. Yeah. Which is a bummer. bummer. Yeah. And then he continues to say, anyway, look forward to more BPRD coverage. It stays wild forever, which is great to hear. (laughs) I think I said this when I was on your podcast, but I love the way this book had subplots that boiled into plots like old comics used to have combined with the true feeling anyone could have anything could happen and it could be permanent deaths people leaving the group cities being razzed and so much more i fell for daimyo so hard and him leaving the group as a jaguar broke my heart but also was what i loved about the book anywho keep up the good work thanks yeah Thanks for um, listening to this yeah, show. Thank you, Kevin. I mean, thank yeah. you for listening and then doing this email, which is a, con- a contribution, like any listener. Uh, totally. And you being somebody that is passionate and knowledgeable in, in, about reading BPRD is great to hear from you about yeah. that. And I think he's right. I think um, I do. It's a great thing when you can make us as listeners or excuse me, readers love a character like Ben. And so when you take him away, yeah, you might be like upset because you're like, I love that character. But the story like did it in a way that it's like, well, that's the only way it was going to happen. Yeah. Because if they followed as we like covered in the forward or the afterward by Arcuya, it was like they just followed what was naturally supposed to happen in the stories. Yeah. Great storytellers. Totally. It's pretty incredible. Pretty, pretty incredible. <laughs> but that's that's a great email, um, and we really appreciate that. And then yeah. we have one final email that is pretty crazy and cool. This email came forward to us from our uh, our collaborators and um, producers at um, Campfire Media. This this was forwarded to us from Michael Middledorf, the man behind the scenes. Um, this comes from Tad Stones, who is accredited like creator like per, exec like supervising producer and writer for the animated Hellboy movies. <laughs> he went out of his way to listen to our episodes about the animated sh- uh, shows, at least one at this point of wow. s- sort of storms. So let's I want to and this is pretty awesome. This is yeah. in response to Sword of Storms, our episode. Um, when we had and we had guests on that as well. And he says this is what it's called. It's entitled Two Answers. He says, was just listening to the Sword of Storms episode, so, I'm, so I'd be ready for Blood and Iron. Great. The fact that he <laughs> would listen to us after listening to the first one, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he says, one, the designs had to be different from the comic book by contract, because if you sold a toy that looked both the comic book and the cartoon, who should get the payoff? That's interesting. Wow. It's okay, like you've yeah. got to redesign That makes it. sense. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's great to have that insight of be like, those choices, there's reasons for it behind the scenes. That's great. That clears up a lot of questions when you come yeah, to design. Yeah, super interesting. And then he says, two, it was definitely not a backdoor pilot, the, um, the sort of sorts, because... And maybe different parts of it, like uh, elements that we mu- we must have brought up. He says, yeah. because it was originally supposed to be a series, the deal, the series deal fell through. So the backup was a series of DVTs. Okay. So there you go. That answers a lot of our questions about. I get. Yeah. Happened. With like, it's so crazy. Like production stuff like that. It's just. 
so many decisions are purely just like executives being like, that's not going to make us as much money as if we just did this for cheaper. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. that's all it is half the time. It's like you, you, you would hope that it would be some kind of artistic <laughs> integrity or whatever it's like and it is that i think for the animators and for the designers and the people who work on it like in that respect but yeah on like the executive decision making side it's totally just what is gonna make us more money yeah so exactly. that makes sense that's it's super interesting i can't believe you responded to the episode or like, like listened to it or yeah. anything it's really cool it's very awesome that he listened and i think totally him. thank you tad stones yeah um and you, you were part of something that was very cool hellboy fans love it we want to see the character animated in in life so that's awesome i think really animation is the closest to to portraying this character in a way that's like you know a second to the comic book totally agree totally agree yeah you can like suspend your disbelief on the same level as the comic and you can like achieve so much cool looking shit like you can do so many cool effects without having to like you know throw millions and millions of dollars into it or something yeah definitely and i i I am with you 100 percent, and that's why i think i was like very that's why i think i dug the uh the blood and iron a little bit more than the first one just because it was getting closer and closer to that feel of yeah. what we love about the comic book i hope he forgives us for any shit we talked on. <laughs> yeah it was exactly i'm like sorry we didn't love it 100 <laughs> percent. but it's like you know anything like that like the comic is for the most part the effort of mignola with like a couple other people chiming in but for like any kind of production like a cart like a cartoon or a movie just so many more people are chiming in about it and there's so many more people making decisions about it it's like you know it's gonna get a little diluted most of the time like especially if the source material is some beloved thing that's like one guy's vision like you're never gonna get like a perfect representation of that thing i think so i think that like what they did what they achieved with those two cartoons is really awesome 100 percent agree 100% 100% yeah. and, and people like it. I mean, it's enjoy- it was enjoyable. It oh, wasn't yeah. a waste of our time at all. Totally. Thanks for emailing us. Yeah, That's fucking thank cool. You. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tad. And thank you, everybody that has emailed or yeah. is, choosing, is going to email in the future. Again, you can email us at ahcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing your opinions. We love getting corrected. It's not bad to us. It's just like, hey. It's we, information. It's information. We learn from it. And we love this stuff. Super appreciate it. Yeah. Great. All right. Let's get into Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus, the first two issues. Give us, tell us about this, Kate. Yeah. So um, the Iron Prometheus, written by Mike Mignola, illustrated by Jason Armstrong, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins, edited by Scott Alley, uh, originally published in Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus 1 through 5, back in September 2007 through January 2008. Yeah, so it's cool. It's back in, it's like a awesome Lobster Johnson pulpy kind of fun story set back in 1937. Yes, mm-hmm. 1937. And just kind of a lot of like noir intrigue at first. Like we ha- have a figure coming into this apartment building. Lobster Johnson's already waiting in the building like, you were followed, you know, and then they're attacked by a giant ape-like creature, which is like Mike Mignola's signature, practically. 
and they beat the <laughs> shit out of it. This guy, the guy who uh, came into his apartment, uh, starts donning this uh, like at first, you know, it's very much looking like the right hand of doom, but it made out of metal. So like to me anyway, it looks like, you know, a big fist with like articulated fingers and, you know, goes up to the elbow and it's just a big honking fist. So he starts using that, but it's like also got sort of like an Iron Man-y kind of energy projectile palm you know like yeah. with ener- energy or electricity like crackling out of it and he used it to he uses it to completely fuck up this <laughs> gorilla <laughs> like <laughs> and lobster johnson who to be fair has been fighting this thing for a while like after it gets zapped he smashes his uh you know burns his claw into the forehead of the gorilla but then it's like you know it's like this suit did a lot of the work that uh mr sax is wearing and yeah, he kind of he's like, what the hell's going on here? How do you know my name? And Lobster Johnson's like, yeah, I found your name on a dead Nazi. We got to go like it's going to it's getting real. They want your suit. It's bad. Bad news. A little informant that Lobster Johnson is friends with is outside like, hey, there's guys coming in after you. You better hit the bricks. And they go down into the basement trying to escape. But guess what? Three thugs are already down there. Lobster Johnson lights him up with a huge gun, <laughs> like a giant handgun. <laughs> yeah. So it's like blasting into them. Um, uh, Mr. Sachs in the suit just blasting people. They're, you know, they're, of course, Nazis. They have it's, it's interesting to me, like the way that they're revealed to be Nazis um, seems to be only done by the colorist. Like it doesn't look like their swastikas were done in with the like inking or you know the the like drawing it's all like in the color stuff afterwards yeah i think you're right that might be because it's like scar but uh, scars but i wonder if that was like a decision made later where they're like let's be really explicit that these guys are nazis here yeah because it's on their hands right is that yeah it's, it's like it's interesting that like that is the first time you really see it yeah, Swastika, I guess right? you do see, I guess to be fair, like there is like a, there is a whole panel where the palm of the hand is like the gun is ejected from the Nazi's hand. And then you really see like a full panel that stops and focuses on the swastika on his palm. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe it was a decision earlier. I don't know. Um, but I was like, how come that's not like drawn on? It's only done in color, but I guess it's just to show it lighter as a scar too. Yeah. I'm very curious is like, I wonder if that was a historically a thing of if Nazis or like put it on their palm because it seemed like a it seemed like a very interesting place to have it because I was yeah. like especially with like we already know Lobster, uh, Lobster Johnson burns his claw through his own palm so it's very interesting that the Nazis would have it on their like have it so visible if they're yeah, trying to be I feel secretive. Like it, I mean probably not i mean you you hear about like nazis escaping to south america and shit like i feel like there would be nothing that they would permanently put on their body you know like third reich guys like obviously there's like neo-nazis and shit putting like tattoos all over their body but like i feel like in germany back then like i don't see many i guess i don't seek them out but i also have not really seen a ton of pictures with like nazi officers 
mm-hmm. with any kind of like brand or tattoo or anything like that. Yeah, me either. I mean, yeah, I only think of Indiana Jones where he grabs the the classic thing where the the, the evil Nazi in in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark grabs that heated um, key or the whatever. Oh the, yeah, and it burns into his palm. So yeah. it's almost reminiscent of that. <laughs> they might be like purposefully recall, making you recall that too because that's like sort of like it feels like a similar thing like Lobster Johnson feels like a more demented kind of like more vengeful Indiana Jones to me like he's obviously not like an, an explorer or anything he's like in his mind fighting crime and stuff he's also like a psycho who's like shooting people <laughs> like you know, he's like a good guy, but he's like a crazy good guy, you know? Yes. Uh, Lobster Johnson is definitely fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a fucking nut. Like, I mean, he, he does seem to be a person, I mean, with he just seems to, yeah, he's reactive. He's very reactive. <laughs> yeah. Immediately. Like, he's just violent as fuck, you know? <laughs> yeah. I Like, maybe we'll see more of it, but it doesn't really feel like, he doesn't seem like the most... Like he's skilled, I won't. I won't take that away from him. But it doesn't seem like the most tact. Tact. Like he doesn't have like a tactic. It just seems yeah. his tactic is just fucking go. <laughs> he has no like regard for like trying to preserve any kind of human life or whatever. Like yes. he's got a goal, and if uh, you know blasting somebody's chest off is part of that, then he'll do it. But he's still like you know he's like. A, for that reason, he's like a fun to look at comic book character. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. And this guy, uh, so he takes him down into the further into the basement. He's like, we got to escape through these tunnels down here. Come along. And we meet this character. And of course, my hoopla is going fucking slow now as soon as I want to see what this guy's name is. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bill. Uh, yeah, so Bill is down working in the sewers, like, in a boat and, like, collects them. Uh, we find out that Mr. Sachs' first name is Jim. Jim Sachs, he's been working as an assistant at this doctor's laboratory along with his daughter. They're, like, researching and developing this crazy high-powered suit. And he's like, I'm just a dummy, but I'm just an assistant so I can like lug stuff around and like put stuff on boats or or put stuff on like trucks and shit. So, yeah. So they're like, all right, come on, let's go. They take them. They're like, let's hurry up because there's cannibals down here. It's really bad. <laughs> he's like, what? Um, cannibals? <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> they get to this other underground laboratory that's like the, where they can kind of like I guess look at the suit a little closer and try to figure out what's going on as far as like where the doctor was taken. He was attacked by evil Nazi freaks who or, you know, by somebody, by by mystery people. A lot of people want this suit because it's so powerful and cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, this like gold sort of like talisman was found by Lobster Johnson uh, that was like attached to that crazy gorilla that attacked in the beginning of the comic. He takes it to uh, Mr. Singh. He's like, Mr. Singh, what's up with this? Singh's like, I'll buy this from you. It's very nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, no, no. So it's like this um, uh, basically like badass tribe of warriors who went to fight for Genghis Khan. And then when Genghis Khan died, they retreated and like went and 
to not like hiding, but like just went back to where they were from and like were kind of never heard from again until this, you know? Yeah. And then Singh's daughter comes out and is like floating and ghost like and like reveals this prophecy um, like as though like spirits are talking through her. Uh, Mr. Singh's trying to stop her, but she talks about how old cities will rise again and this this uh, guy will uh, tame fire to breathe dragon uh, to breed dragons. Lobster Johnson's like, who's he? <laughs> yeah. Like, and where do I shoot? Uh, Singh's trying to stop him. No, no, no. And then she says, um, uh, Memnon saw. Memnon saw. I'm wondering if this is the first time we're hearing the name for yeah, us of the guy I from because I we're gonna who's been like following Liz, Liz and like in her dreams and shit. Yeah, I would assume so. It's nice to get a name. Yeah, and who knows if that's his like true name, but that's what he's being called right. here. So yeah, yeah, in this prophecy, um, and then. Singh seems to be like, no, you said his name. Like, now he's here. Like, it seems to have some sort of, like, mystical ability. And even, like, you know, reading it up to this point, we still don't even know that that character is going to pop. Like, you know, I didn't realize it was going to be the character from Liz's dream slash nightmare. Yeah, I, I had read the... This is the one Lobster Johnson that I have previously read, and I had completely forgotten that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because it's like, you know, there's not... They don't really reveal much about the character. Like, you know he's... He's snake related and he's like maybe related to this, uh, like to these warriors and stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the underground laboratory, Jim is sort of explaining as much as he can about the suit. Vez, real energy suit. And I guess uh, according to this one guy who reads comic books, he's like, Vril is how they powered Atlantis. Isn't that cool? And they're like, shut the fuck up with your goofy Atlantis crap. But that's interesting. It's like a, a cool like way to tie in sort of like mythical sources of power to this uh, kind of like scientific uh, suit or whatever yeah, you know it's like sure. tying it all in like a lot of like fun stuff ancient energy use and stuff yeah yeah it made me immediately think of like uh how mignola was involved in the disney's atlantis <laughs> like cartoon oh, yeah. i have to rewatch that i really want to rewatch it yeah i i think it holds up as a fun yeah. adventure and good animation and stuff so. that's as close to mignola land as we'll ever get is like Uh, and being involved in that Disney movie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then uh, Lobster Johnson shows up at the lab. He's like, yeah, I've been showing this symbol around. People are scared of shit of it. Uh, A bunch of dudes have been showing up wearing it. They're so scared of it. In that one panel, it's like that, the guy that sort of is like in a, Run, run down beanie and patches and then the bartender yeah. is like hiding behind the bar yeah he's like i don't want to any involvement in this <laughs> um so yeah like downtown there's this building that looks like it's abandoned but there's like steel underneath the boards on the windows and you know something's going on down there we gotta we gotta go check it out and then it cuts to a scene of the doctor who the the you know, the scientist who developed the suit mm-hmm. being fucking tortured. With uh, hot, hot iron. Hot, like hot coals, pinchers, yeah. yeah. 
fucking brutal. They're like, come on, I really want this suit. Burning him with hot pokers. Um, torturing him, threatening to torture his daughter. The daughter's like, don't do it. Don't tell him. So they're suiting up. Uh, Jim's putting on the suit. He's like, let's fucking go. So him and Lester Johnson, that's the end of the first issue. They're like, we're going to go figure this shit out. Yeah. Um, you sort of see like a one small panel of this figure who, uh, you know, turns out like in this. So you don't even realize in the first issue that it's him necessarily because no, he doesn't like totally resemble that character yet. But oh, and these Mignola covers are fucking beautiful. Yeah. Is it Stuart for this? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Dave Stewart also colored everything. Right. I was wondering um, why it looks good. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I agree with you. If you're ever wondering why it looks so cool, it's it's because Dave Stewart came along at yeah. some point. Uh, he's so fucking cool. But these covers, I have to, I agree with you, are very cool. Like, seeing Lobster Johnson, like, done with Mignola's simplicity with Stewart's uh, colors is just so cool. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I think the first one is good. Like, I like it. It's intriguing. But that second cover... Is yeah, it's so really cool. Fucking rad. <laughs> you got a snake. You got a big Nazi, um, you know, buff guy with a crazy, like an actual claw, yeah. like a huge metallic claw, which is fun to throw in there as a, you know, I guess like. Well, we'll see in this issue. I we can kind of assume like why it looks like that, but yeah, it's so cool. And you have Jim's vest suit. With the glowing three eyes and stuff, it's really fucking neat. They show up to the to the abandoned building, or you know, a quote abandoned building. Yeah. Knock on the door, and then they just fucking they show the they show the symbol at first. So the guys like ask them one question, and then they use the vest suit to just blast the door open. <laughs> and at first, you don't see anybody, but of course, they're surrounded by these assassins in the dark and the shadows. Um, and Lobster Johnson does his thing of blasting everybody with a handgun. Yeah, and I love the and moment then, before that. I love he, instead of like ninjas or assassins, before saying assassins, I love he's all, it's a house full of cowards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A house full of cowards. They don't want to come out blasting like me. Also, I feel like, it's like, I think you use shadows too, Lobster Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty judgmental of people's fighting tactics here, bud. <laughs> You're also using a gun and not like a, a, not some bladed weapon or something like that, you know? Yeah, just saying. You're a little classically considered more cowardly than like a, uh, some sort of like melee weapon or something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like Lobster Johnson, I, I I like Lobster Johnson as a character, but I also think he's a fucking asshole, like like character of his time. I guess he's supposed to be like that, but it's like I do, you I, know. I think I agree. Like yeah, I he's definitely not my favorite Magnolia verse character by far. Like there's so many dozens of others that I like. Like he's cool. Like I don't want to shit on him and be like, uh, you know, especially he's such a fan favorite. Um, and I, I get I get why, because he's like the berserker fucking weirdo who's just going in there like blah, 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 shooting stuff. Yeah. But yeah, he's definitely not the most like nuanced character, at least up to this point. For sure. I mean, I, 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 I have I haven't I, I, I'm pretty much on the same page with you. I, I'll, I'll, I'll save a little bit of that for 
my final thoughts. Just sure really thing. keep reading. Yeah. I love this. These drawings of um, the Vez suit, like really opening up and like Jim is like sending out all this energy and just like blasting people backwards. And it's this great sort of like light purplish colored light. It makes it like really eerie and otherworldly. And yeah. just the I think they, they do a great job combining the, like the color and the black ink areas to like make it really effectively like super super bright area of energy and like super super dark shadows of this factory or abandoned building or whatever i just think that part looks really cool i'm with you on that i love it when he releases that energy it's just great it's visually just very cool yeah i like that it's sort of like it's almost like an old-timey diving suit but it also sort of looks like i, I think that they're doing like intentionally sort of making it look iron man-y a little bit like early bulky iron man to me yeah totally it definitely uh, it feels that way for sure because it looks again like i think clunky is the best i think the word you, you use and that's what it feels like it feels clunky in the way that like when you see old medieval armor you're like why the fuck would anybody want to go out in that yeah <laughs> like it's it, cool it might protect you but how are you really being fu as functional <laughs> it's also interesting like an interesting decision to give the suit three eyes i guess for lack of a better yeah term you would assume that you know jim has to look out of two of those eye holes or whatever so there's like a third eye i guess implying this sort of like like it makes me think of like a psychic kind of a thing yeah. like i don't totally know a ton about this like atlantean energy source that they're using or anything but it's another thing that makes it seem like otherworldly yeah and he's sort of like lifting up off the ground with the energy collecting around him and stuff and you know he's just blasting the fuck out of these assassins and finally lobster johnson is like jim jim enough like they're bones <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. they're bones now okay <laughs> you, you, you know it's too much when lobster johnson tells you you're doing too much yeah exactly <laughs> and he's like he starts to get that energy starts to like burn into his like leather suits or in his garb yeah, yeah he's like owie <laughs> you're hurting me and then like finally you know jim seems to have gone into sort of like a trance with this power and when he finally stops he's like oh oh my god and as he walks towards lobster johnson he steps on a um like on a on a trigger in the ground which releases an enormous fucking hammer which knocks him into a trap door <laughs> which is very fun yeah very a lot fun. Of fun insane that, that's and then after that yeah it's like the craziest like home alone kind of shit <laughs> it's really cool and then you know then suddenly this other character appears who seems to be somewhat unrelated to the like maybe this guy was just following lobster johnson around but it's, um, oh, 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 he was, uh, I guess he knows about the suit. So maybe he's also been looking for the suit. Yeah, it appears to be, I think this is the, the moment where we're setting up that there's, there's not, there's multiple villains. Like, yeah, they're going after the suit. There's the Nazis, but then the party that's actually taken the professor that created it is not involved with the Nazis, which yeah. is sort of, they're, they, they're just mixing it up because he comes in and says, that uh, save him. That uh, that was, I presume, Professor Galagaragas. Uh, I'm butchering that last name. V Galagaragas. Yeah, Galagaragas. Galagaragas. V V S. <laughs> I'm afraid I'll be wanting that. And the professor, if you have him. No, 
He's like, I know that voice. Dr. Waxman. <laughs> Dr. Waxman. <laughs> Very pulpy. It's a great evil name. <laughs> great, huge, evil smile. Yeah. And um, a great henchman with a big claw. So, like, yeah, he, you know, and he's clearly wants vengeance on Lobster Johnson. He knows exactly down to the day how long it's been since he has seen Lobster Johnson last because he destroyed his life's work. So now he's going to ironically kill him with a big buff lobster man who's going to punch him to death with a with a claw, which is really fun. Just so stupid and great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you murdered the Kassara brothers, but as you see, I found new patrons for my art. So... Yeah, the Nazis got to Dr. Waxman, it seems, and have helped finance his uh, big buff lobster arm guy. And then meanwhile, down in this basement, Jim has fallen in his suit and wakes up seemingly in like an outside, like a frozen tundra, like outside area. He sees uh, Helena the daughter of the professor who had made the suit. Um, she's also kind of got this like ghost-like quality that we saw from Singh's daughter in the mm-hmm. first issue a little bit. Like she's sort of like telling a prophecy or, you know, relaying some like spooky information. Um, what's going on? What is this place? His frozen grave, the emperor of the world. So I would assume since they already talked about Genghis Khan as the emperor of the world, it was... It's like his grave, Uh, but maybe not. Maybe it's this other, you know, it could also be like maybe maybe it's like a similar thing of like prophecies. You know, somebody appears like you think Genghis Khan is the emperor of the world. But in fact, it's this other evil character who's been visiting Liz or something. I think it might relate to the Hecate stuff, the Hyborians. Okay. That's why I think this might be more of the Hyperion, like that old ancient society um, with Thoth and all of that. That's what I cool. think. I think they're integrating a lot of that. And I think that's why the, the medallion has been become like that used to be part of this old society and the Hyperions, Hyperboreans. So I think it's a lot of them within the Hellboy universe, like try to integrating that. and make, It's all combining yeah. now. That's what I think. Well, then, too, when she, like, she leads him, you know, she's like, this is my father. He's like, you know, Jim's like, where's your father? My father's right over here. But it turns out that it's, uh, I guess, Sa. You know, he's sitting at a table mysteriously behind some fire and draws Jim in closer to talk to him and tells him to remove his helmet. And then this gas is released from this, like, what turns out to be a... Like a mannequin or something. Yeah, it like comes out character. of his eyes almost. Yeah. Or his eyes yeah. glow and then the mist comes. It's a cool, like, creepy visual. Yeah. And Lobster <laughs> Johnson, meanwhile, is, like, fighting this no- Nazi lobster. Uh, Jim gets knocked out by the gas. And then you see, like, the gas clearing and it reveals, like, two huge henchmen lifting him up out of the uh, this, like, basement room. And this character, you know, is telling them, careful, he is very important. And the helmet. Yes. And you see it with like a gas mask on behind him. I would assume the guy uh, saw Memnon saw or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, leave me. I've got other matters. So we see the snakes. So we know for sure that this, you know, the snakes in the yeah, ornate yeah. like robes and stuff like that. And the like claw his facial sort hair. of gloves. Yeah. You're like, OK, this is definitely the guy that Liz has been seeing in her nightmares. He looks a little younger, maybe. But <laughs> totally. this is him. Uh, Lobster Johnson's getting fucked up, but suddenly he stabs the claw of the Nazi thug 
with a huge assassin sword, just like two pronged assassin sword, which is pretty cool. It's Mm -hmm. like reminiscent of a snake's tongue, which we also see in the same page. So like some nice visual tie ins there. Uh, The only thing you're going to see, doctor, is the burning hand of the over of overdue justice. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait, like, you know, instantly begging. And he starts to, you know, spill some beans about some other Nazi submarine somewhere. But all of a sudden, some snakes emerge that have grown from, you know, the snakes that kind of emerge from the sleeve of Memnon saw that he like made grow into these enormous fucking serpents, these giant like dragon like snakes. And then they start to surround Lobster Johnson. He pulls the pin in a grenade and then saws like, I have no quarrel with you. Uh, You crossed me this one time, but I would have you survive it. And he's like, seems to know everything about Lobster Johnson, basically saying, like, go back to fighting spies and all this little silly shit that you do, Um, (laughs) you know, so long as you never raise a hand against me. And the grenade falls, and I guess you can't really... I I guess you would say that, like, Lobster Johnson intentionally still released it anyway to be like, fuck you, and I'm going to blow this building up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because he's a fucking nut. (laughs) Um, So he drops the grenade... And then there's like inside the building, apparently there's a a bunch of jars with flammable liquid and that really combusts into this huge fucking giant explosion, completely like decimating the building. Some, I guess, Nazis show up and they're like, where's Dr. Waxman? You know, but they're sort of like, like, you know, like 30s, 40s, kind of like, save your breath. No way anybody could have lived through that kind of guys. Mm -hmm. They're looking for Dr. Waxman. Waxman gets thrown out of the oh no 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 one of the thugs goes into the to the dust and gets thrown back out with the lobster claw burned under his forehead and that's yeah (laughs) so lobster johnson clearly survived because he's just made out of kevlar or something he like couldn't survive (laughs) anything so it's cool it makes me want to keep reading i'm like oh we're finally going to get some answers about this character that's been fucking with Liz for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then we get like also get like a fun thing at the end, the true history of Lobster Johnson, which is like basically saying like mm, the real Lobster Johnson, there's like very little known about him. The only thing that we really know is from like these pulp books that were uh, written by Norville Cooper, who used to work yeah. as, you know, Used to work with him and then quit the force and started writing these pulp stories and stuff. So it's like a fun, like immersive kind of like article that like makes it seem like it's real. Yes. You know, it's cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I have I have weirdly uh, conflicting thoughts about this because I think it's about a, the stories. Yeah. About lobster, this this first iteration of a solo book for Lobster John. I think, I mean, again, I'm going to, I want to continue reading it. It's not that. It's not like where I think it's complete trash and I'm, I'm wasting my time or anything. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, I enjoyed these first two issues and I think it's fun. Again, I, I want to keep saying it's fun. But in, in what we've read so far in all the books of, of, it just feels a little, I don't know, something. It's one of those things where I can't put my finger always exactly on it, but it just feels like it's missing what I love about the, the central book, Hellboy. It's missing a little bit of what I, like the the great consistent storytelling that the BPRD brings. It doesn't lack the fun, but I think it just feels a little labored for me. 
Like it feels a little, it feels like it's trying to be so hard, it'd be exactly a pulp book that it yeah. misses what I love about like how Hellboy and BPRD sort of bring their own thing to it. They might be inspired by yeah. pulp books, but this just. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely like way heavier on the pulp and way less of the character development and stuff. You kind of get it for Jim. Like you feel like he's, you know, you learn that he's like a failed baseball player who's just like basically like a goof who got caught up in all of this. He didn't really want to get caught up in it. He just wanted a job. So you like kind of, he's kind of you're in for the audience, I think. But um, it's like not so much so that you like you don't have as much empathy with the characters, I think, as you would in BPRD, which is it's hard. Like you're just introducing these characters, mm-hmm. so you don't know too much about them. Yeah. Okay. Um, you don't have like this long history with them and stuff. But yeah, uh, since Lobster Johnson's just such like a one note, like crazy maniac, like even though we've known him for a while, it's like you can't really relate to him too much because it's like, what the fuck is he even? Is he real? Is he a ghost? Is he a you know, a psycho or like, what's his whole deal? There's so much mystery surrounding him still that like, you can really only appreciate him as like a pulp character and not as like a character with actual human attributes and feelings and shit. Yeah. And I think that, I think you're nailing it on exactly how I felt when finishing it where I was like fun, but I just don't, I'm not getting any more about the main central character. Other than like, yeah, he's a mystery and he's a pulp character. And it just, it feels a little shallow to me, but it doesn't. If anything, it's just like a, it's like a a really involved backstory of, um, of Memnon Saw. Like to me, I'm like, really, this is what I care about in this book is like, I want to keep reading it because I want to know who this figure is, who's been haunting Liz for this whole time. Yeah, I, I think yeah. you're right. And I think that, that like the the aspect of him being if we're gonna live in a world where like is he really, is he not, I think he works Lobster Johnson in general for me thus far, and I could it could this could change as we continue this story or read other stories of his. Right now I prefer him as like a ghost that the world of Hellboy and BPRD are interacting with. He feels he feels like more I like him in that form or that versus this in his own story. Again, I I feel like a broken record, but he just feels sort of just, uh, it's just so plot, plot, it's such a plot driven story that I'm just like, okay, yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, I mean, yeah. Like when he, he still brands somebody with the lobster claw, even after a grenade blows up right underneath him and an entire building falls down on top of him. It's like, is he dead already? Like, was he never really a man? Was he always some kind of spectral, weird, otherworldly thing or something? Like, at first, you're just like, oh, he's just like a crazy detective or some shit who's like, you know, uses his brawn and like beats the shit out of guys. But now it's like, okay, he survived all of this and we see him as a ghost later. Has he been just a ghost this whole time? <laughs> like, Ooh. how real has this figure ever been? And then, of course, there's also that thing of like, he's shrouded in lore and legend from being interpreted by the, these people who worked with him yeah. and put into put into like pulpy comic book form even within the reality of the comic that we're reading you know yeah there's like so many layers of like 
what's this guy's deal? Is he real? Yeah. I, think I guess like really it's like don't think about it too hard. Yes. And you're right. Just enjoy it. You're right. You're right. Don't think about it too much. But there is that there is that aspect to me that I don't and this is my own personal taste and people could like this or not. I do get a little like turned off by a character that's like in our world he's real, but also there's book there's like fictional books about him. Right. I just, I don't buy that. Like, I always feel like that's a weird yeah. trope that I don't know where it started. It seems like kind of a cop out to me. Like, it's like, well, just make this character real. It's like, it's like having at the end of your story, like the whole thing was a dream. And it's like, well, then what did it matter that we watched it? You know, it's like, if this guy is not real, if he's just like, I, I mean, I guess they're also playing with this idea of like, depicting a, a legend existing in real life and then depicting a legend it's very like meta it's like a commentary on this comic book at all i think really it's like these real life things happen and then they're interpreted by somebody and put into this comic book so all of the population at large really knows of this guy is what they've learned through these comic books but like there's only a kernel of truth to that and it's the otherwise it's all bullshit mm -hmm. like I guess it's the same as like us reading, you know, Mignola making a comic, us reading it and taking away the what's real and truthful from the comic. But it's like it's pretty it's pretty long for a meta statement like that, I guess, you know. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I, I got excited about the last little thing, the true history of Lobster Johnson. But then it sort of just lost a little bit of like weight for me when I was just like, oh, this guy made novels about him. But like to me, that is interesting. Like if that was what the story was around was this idea of like us di dissecting Lobster Johnson to figure out if he was real or not. It, yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Like or what was diving into what was Norval Cooper to Lobster Johnson, then I would be like, yeah. I'd probably get more interested more if they were like diving into that aspect of like. Yeah, instead they present it as like this tacked on thing at the end where it's like, here's a news article about with that's an, a fake news article with an interview about a fake guy who, you know, it's like wrote, so many layers of things that you have to chug through. They wrote pulp books that were fake presumed fictional but based on real events and you're just like okay yeah. i'm confused like i know what they're they're trying to immerse you and they're trying to give the world depth and lore and stuff like that but really it's just i guess it just is what it is it's like a side story that kind of yeah informs the main story as a story itself am i like sad that i don't own a physical copy of this lobster johnson run no i'm fine yeah. having this as like you know i'm not gonna go out and pick this up necessarily to have as a thing on its own it's it's like well done well drawn it's cool but it's like just not it's just a footnote in the bprd story for me you yeah know? same way same 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 and i'm, yeah. I'm almost and I, I will continue reading it of course in the next coming oh, episode yeah, i can't wait to see what happens I'm like, yeah well, what's going on yeah which I guess is really the whole, you know, that's the goal that they've, then they've achieved it. For sure. They've definitely achieved that. Um, I guess there's, and it could be my, 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 my view of Lobster Johnson is definitely informed about current times because being such a brutal character, um, there's a part of me that goes like, I'm sort of exhausted by him having no depth. Yeah. Like I'm just supposed to cheer on a brutal character versus like the idea of dissecting, like why do we... Why does this brutal character get uplifted or yeah. fictionalized? There's something I guess he's like, 
he's like brutalizing Nazis who are like the objective yes. bad guys. But it's also like we're yeah, this year especially we're living in a fucking world where it's like there's a lot of violence happening in real life really close to our doorsteps, you know? Yeah. It's like you become less sympathetic, I think, with a character who resolves all of their problems by shooting it, a big fucking hole in it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, it's just a, di- you know, even from whenever this, what, 2008 or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, from even from 07 to now, like a lot has changed about pop culture and like heroes and shit like that. Definitely. You can kind of, you really can see its age a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. So, but I'm, ex- yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll definitely continue reading and hear more from this. Oh, yeah. That being team. said, I can't wait to see. I, I just want to see more about Memnon Saw. I want to see yeah. what the deal is and like why he would want to tap into Liz's powers and all that shit. For sure. That's what I'm really motivated by right now to like read the rest of it. That's great. <laughs> And it does look cool. Yeah, I think you the know. artist is great. Uh, he's he has he just just has like a he has a very cl- to me a very classic uh, look to his line work, and um, he felt like the perfect choice for somebody wanting to create a pulp inspired book. Did you have any favorite panels or moments in these this, these these two issues? Uh, let me. See. I mean, I I guess I really did like when. Jim's vest suit lights up that um, warehouse full of guys. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think he looks it's it's funny. Like, I think um, I think Jason Armstrong is like a slightly cleaned up version of Guy Davis almost like his characters are remind me a lot of Guy Davis's, but like slightly less scratchy or something slightly less like sketchy mm-hmm. they don't feel as it's organic to me like i think guy davis brings like a weird organic feel to his stuff whereas this makes yeah. me this his style is good it just makes me know i'm reading a comic like yeah it doesn't really it's veer like a perfectly away from competent good comic book yeah but it's not uh i mean really i guess like the suit the way that he draws the suit is pretty cool to me mm-hmm. it reminds me of like the dc cartoons of like the 90s a little bit like the your batmans and supermans and shit like i feel like this suit suited figure wouldn't be out of place there i think you're right about that i really like yeah i think i like that aspect but yeah which which ones do you like sorry i liked his giant snakes i think the snakes was the best thing for me um i really liked it (laughs) i like this like uh the reflection of lobster johnson in the snake's eye i think looks really neat it's like a segmented eye too. I love that the repetition too, because you see, in Lobster Johnson's goggles, you see the snakes. Then it does the reverse of him in the snake's yeah. eye. Yeah, I think that's very cool. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, there's a lot of cool shit in it. Yeah, I think there's one goofy thing that I, and it's it's silly, and I just have to call it out because I think it's goofy. I think it's very goofy that like this mystical character, uh, like used this weird backdrop to trick him of like a cut he literally did like a cutout of himself to trick him <laughs> yeah he like used a mannequin that looks like him to blast gas at him and stuff i mean i guess it's very you know so in that way it's good. like it's so silly yeah it's very silly but you know it's comic they yeah can, it they're is gonna a, do some silly funny shit it just seems weird for a guy that can like clearly knows mysticism and things it's like 
he had to he, he just did like a funny makeshift way to trick somebody for somebody that's he also magic. Like, he grows he grows the snakes by like putting them under this like little light bulb. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Very funny magic and yeah uh, things going on there. Magic and science combined in in a funny way. Yeah, in a very silly fun pulp again pulpy way. So yeah, uh, very fun. Yeah, again, I, I think that's my biggest takeaway. Is it, it's, it is a fun a fun read. Great. Any other thoughts or anything? That's pretty much it. I mean, I'm interested in continuing to read it and overall positive. Overall positive. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens next. Uh, we want to hear from you out there, listeners. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these first two issues of uh, Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. Um, again, you can email us at awcrap, a Hellboy podcast at gmail.com. Um, as well as you can follow us on Instagram at awcrap, a Hellboy podcast. Twitter is awcrap, Hellboy. And if you can give us a shout out um, and re- meaning a review on any platform that you listen to us, if they give you the option of rating us and reviewing us, please do so. But if you go out of your way to go on to Apple Podcasts slash iTunes and you give us a five-star review and your review starts with the word boom, we'll go ahead and we will read your review right here on the show. We'll praise you. We'll give you a shout-out. That would help us a lot. That brings more listeners and fans of these um, fun works within the Mignola slash Hellboy universe that we get to discuss. I'm excited to see what happens more to Mr. Yeah. Mr. Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's it. Thank you um, all for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, and remember... We love you. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not Not all of them. them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? (gasps) I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney Vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Campfire.